1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Always excited to catch up with my good friend and one of the all-time greats at the University of Michigan. I, You know, it's funny. I was watching a, a highlight reel where my man Tim McCormick was giving it to the dream, giving it to Akeem Olajuwon. I was like, wow, look at Tim. Go off in that uh, game. But yeah, he he's he's the best. He's a better guy uh than uh than he was a player. And he was an outstanding player, an outstanding broadcaster, but like I said, an outstanding and even better human being, which is why this podcast really, really goes. If you like it, you can help it go, you can help it grow by subscribing to this podcast, by rating and review it. We love those five-star reviews. Make sure you do that wherever you get it. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, uh, you name it. But Want to welcome in my partner, the esteemed
3: Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, and I want to wish you a happy anniversary. Um, Sam, this is our 25th podcast, which I think is a silver um acknowledgement. Do I it is get you a, a pen or <laughs> some type of a tray or I, I don't know, something, but but happy anniversary. And
2: likewise, my man, it's been a fun ride so far.
3: I've enjoyed it, and it it I just I'm shocked that. We have so much to talk about in the middle of the summer with no basketball in the near future, no basketball in our rearview mirror. But there's a ton to talk about today. And I can't wait to talk to our guest.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, me too. Looking forward to chatting, uh, catching up with Nick. But I, I'm curious, and I know we've, we've kind of talked about this off air a little bit. Uh, but you being a player, you being a guy in a leadership position, I mean, there's a routine and there's a rhythm to... Uh, you know, to your preparation, uh, just to being a player. I know enough about covering guys long enough to know that there's just a routine to it. And that routine has been disrupted. There's uncertainty even about whether there will be a season next year. So I'm curious, Tim, as you look at how things are going now during the voluntary phase of, of preparation, I'm I'm curious what you think some of the challenges are you know, how they're different now and, and how you think guys might be dealing with them.
3: The challenges are so significant. And I, I know you can relate to this. They talk about the dog days of summer in baseball, right? There, There's there's no newness or freshness to the season. The playoffs are still a long ways away. I know that in sports talk radio, I mean, it's, it's yeah, hard man. in the middle of the summer to <laughs> yeah. generate compelling stories. Well, for a basketball player, it's the same thing. And with the challenge of isolation, it's even worse. This week, I, I've spent so much time thinking about the NBA campus in Orlando, also known as the bubble. And the players feel comp- com- like confined and they're, they're secluded and they're isolated. And I'm certain this is one of the greatest challenges that they've ever faced. And for the, the teams that excel, they're going to have great leaders. Um, the teams with the strongest leaders will thrive. I'm talking about LeBron and Chris Paul and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Toronto's a team full of leaders as well. Well, how is it in college basketball? Because I don't think leadership has ever been more important than it is right now. And these are some of the challenges that I think Michigan's players are going to have. Look, Xavier Simpson and John Teske are no longer the strongest voices in the locker room. So who's going to emerge for Michigan as that alpha dog to keep the young guys going, to keep encouraging? You know, Isaiah Livers could be that guy, but is he he even engaged right now because he hasn't committed to coming back to Michigan? Um, You know, do the Michigan players have the discipline to stay out of public settings and crowded apartments and houses, right? That's going to be important. Can the players stay motivated with their workouts when articles and social media are acknowledging the fact that probably there's not going to be any sports this fall? And then also, can Juwan and his staff keep the enthusiasm level high when there's so much uncertainty and negative news? I I just I think that that, you know, when you look at the seniors, what's their year going to look like? Um, Will Isaiah come back? Will Franz? Is is he chasing NBA dreams right now? Um, Sean Sean D Brown, what's his year going to look like? This has to be crazy. He doesn't even really know Ann Arbor yet. So, I am. I think that there's a lot going on, Sam, and I'd love to hear what you think about all this uncertainty and how leadership must play a huge role.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, let me start off by giving a tip of the cap to you, Tim, because you said something in, in reference to Sean D Brown when we a few podcasts ago when you talked about what the NCAA's posture was going to be when it came to these waivers. And and you said at the time, you said, you know, Sam, I think they're going to be extremely lenient with these waivers. Basically, you know, you apply for one, you're going to get it, even though they decided to kick the can down the road as, a, as far as that rule is concerned, where guys would automatically be with a transfer, automatically be eligible. I, I think there's evidence to back up your point your point of view, that it's going to be rather easy to get one. This kid, JT Daniels, USC quarterback, decided to to transfer. Clearly, a, a driving component of this is the the quarterback deal in at USC probably wasn't going to get the job. And he got immediate eligibility at Georgia. Now, he's a California guy. I understand he's an L.A. guy going across the country to Georgia to play, and he was he was granted immediate eligibility. So I think you're spot on with that first. Tim, I can't imagine Shondi Brown not getting a waiver, uh, especially with the case that he has. I think you're on point there. But you're right. The, the challenge is so unique for this team when you consider the leadership base, the people that you would look to to lead are either gone or might be gone. Uh, and talking about Isaiah liver. So you, 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 it leaves you with a void that hopefully some guys are, 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 are feeling empowered by uh, that. I can't tell you that I've heard who it is. I can tell you who I think the candidates are. You know, a guy, I think, I think Franz Wagner, I said this before. I think, I think Franz Wagner has within him inherent leadership ability from a mentality standpoint, from a desire to want the pressure on his shoulders standpoint, I mean, you you've seen him try to lift guys, even as a freshman, him trying to pick guys up on the floor. It, it might seem like a maybe a foreign concept for 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 him in the eyes of fans, but I just think it's something that comes naturally for him. I saw it throughout his freshman year, evidence of it, and I'm not just talking about the the rah rah fire you up stuff. I'm talking about, like I said, picking his teammates up, you know, wanting the shot, wanting more of a role, you know, being a willing defender, hitting the glass, not shying away from from contact. By in word and in deed, I thought we saw some some pieces of leadership from him in a freshman as a freshman. And I really, even if Isaiah Livers comes back, which I'm expecting him to do, I expect Franz to to be a guy that steps into that void. And in the absence of certainty with, with Isaiah Livers, he's the guy I look to to kind of rudder the ship. Yeah,
3: it's a good possibility. And and I think that Eli Brooks will have to be um, in a strong leadership role as well. Austin Davis, he's been around for a long time, but sometimes the leadership is also based on production. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the freshman class, I think, will be interesting also because – as a young guy, they don't know any better, so they can't wait to get in the gym. And they, you know, they they start their workout and look down at their jersey and it says Michigan, and they're all proud. And they're they're in a wonderful facility. And during a the break, they can get a smoothie. And so <laughs> all the bright light stuff is going to be exciting for them. But uh, but I I don't know yet how Jace Howard and Hunter Dickinson and and Zeb Jackson and 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 you know Shondi Brown might be a really good leader as well. Yeah. Terrence White. So it's going to have to be collective, but it's going to be a lot different. And I think that that when Michigan basketball plays again, that the leadership that is displayed right now is going to cause some players to take a jump in their game, whereas a lot of players around the Big Ten and around the country are kind of feeling sorry for themselves right now. And they they don't think there's going to be a season, so they're not pushing themselves. So Mm -hmm. while a lot of fans may say, Right now does not matter. I disagree.
2: Yeah, and I another thing that makes me think it'll be Franz is because you're right, Tim. You know, that that mental edge that a guy has and you know, even away from being an athlete, let's just say, you know, just you know, Joe's and Jane's listening to this podcast and you gotta work out routine, it's hard to to have that inner voice tell you to push harder. I mean, a lot of a lot of us, we use personal trainers for that reason. Well, you can't have personal trainers right now. Who, who among you listening has that inner voice still driving you? I imagine there are some, but it's not universal. Well, Franz has the luxury of having a, an NBA brother, Tim, who, I mean, he there are no days off if you're a pro. There's no days off for Mo Wagner. And uh, to when you quarantine with your brother who's an NBA guy, you aren't taking time off. You aren't resting yeah. on your laurel. So I, I think that's another thing that both mentally and physically kind of will have him
3: primed and and honed and, and ready to take on that leadership role. Well, let, let's go to an important time, and that's next week. And Juwan Howard will have a huge smile on his face because it's the first time that a combination of 10 Michigan coaches and players can get in the gym and work through drills. It's going to be non-contact, but but that's where Jawan will have a chance to empower and excite his players with his enthusiasm.
2: Absolutely. All right. So yeah, Juwan has to be feeling excited and empowered when you look at his recruiting class. You know, we've spent some time on this podcast already talking about Isaiah Burns and the promise that he brings is a guy who's cracked the top 100. I think is going to rise a lot of upside. Well, Michigan picked up two commitments uh, in the time since we did our last, last podcast, Tim. Let's start off talking about one right now a versatile front court guy that the Wolverines went and got from Stewardsville, Minnesota. Uh, a guy that they beat out the, you know, the in state program for, for instance. Uh, a stretch big, can shoot it. High IQ guy, Will Cheddar. I'm curious your thoughts as you watch this film, as you've gotten to know a little bit more about him. What are your thoughts on Will Cheddar?
3: Let me start off by saying I've only watched his tape. And what I've seen is I like. I, I, I like his 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 versatility at 6'8". He can really shoot it. Um, the release is a little bit low for my liking, but that can be worked on. He handles the ball well, and I can see him as a four, three. If he grows, definitely a stretch four. uh, he's a, he's a quarterback. So he's got some toughness. It's interesting. He doesn't do social media. Uh, he lives on a farm, so that's kind of unique. And like Isaiah Barnes, he committed without an official visit. Um, I love the fact that he can make threes and he's 35 points per game score. Now, and i i'm treading lightly here because i don't want to be critical mm-hmm. but i want to share with you my concern can i do that you sure can go for it okay so when you offer a player and they grab the, the 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 offer immediately and commit i'm thinking maybe it was too early also will's other offers were like iowa nebraska virginia tech cincinnati those are all good offers minnesota's on the list too I have no problem with the fact that he committed, and those are good schools. But here's my issue. If Michigan wants to go to a Final Four, they need to out-recruit Kansas and Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke, Arizona, Gonzaga, schools like that. You need elite top 40 recruits with NBA potential. And, and I'm just not sure that Will Shutter is that guy. Now, the possibility definitely exists that he's a John Beeline-type recruit. You know, you're going to develop him over his first couple years, and then when he's a junior and senior, he's Duncan Robinson, and he helps you get, you know, as far as you want to go. I, I'm just thinking right now when I watched him, his tape reminded me a little bit of Adrian Nunez and Cole Badgima when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. And once again, this might be completely unfair. Once again, I've never seen him in person. He might be a key recruit, but in today's recruiting game with all the transfers in the portal, it kind of minimizes the impact of high school recruits. So the the, the value might be is that that high school player is going to take time to develop, whereas with all the transfers that are out there, you may want that scholarship for a guy that maybe averaged 12 points and five boards in the Big 12 or in the SEC and he's a proven, known quantity. Mm-hmm. That's my concern.
2: Okay, so here's the here's the counter. It's going to be a big class, Tim. Uh, you know, a class of of six guys. I think is is where they're going to land. And so is is every guy in the class because there's there's a there's a, a downside to having you know a class with with five, six, top fifty guys. If you if you're fortunate enough to do that. Are there enough basketballs to go around? Are all those guys are going to stay? Uh, let let's say let's say some of those guys are ready to go immediately, and maybe some of the guys in that top fifty, uh, some of the other guys in that top fifty are are, are going to be longer developing guys that that maybe in years three or four are going to be ready to go. Uh, that'd be great if those guys would be willing to wait through years one and two. I think with a guy like Will Cheddar to, and I think you raise a great point. You know, Michigan did beat out. Iowa and Minnesota and Nebraska for him. He was not uh, as highly rated or regarded as some of the guys they're pursuing or Isaiah Barnes or Kobe Bufkin in their in their list. but I think this is a four-year player, a guy that you can take time to develop, a guy that in years three and four in his journey, it can be a frontline guy for you, whether it's a, a six man or a starter for you as a guy who's six, eight, six nine I know there's some some debate is he six eight or is he six nine but he's in that range uh that can that can stretch a that can stretch a, a defense that can pull up you know a slew, foot, slew footed big out uh it can hit you some threes can be a pick and pop option if he can be that in years three and four for you uh, you can grow him during years one and two that's how to me as far as your roster construction goes, I think that's how you sustain being really, really good unless you're going to be able to go out and get McDonald's All-Americans and top 25, top 30 guys uh, to fill out your class every single year. These, to me, are your bridge players. The guys you get when your one- and two-year players leave early, you got your three- and four-year guys there to maintain your culture and teach the new guys coming in. I think he's that kind of guy.
3: Okay, so you you did well. You did really well, but you did not change my, 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 my uncertainty about this. And let me add on to what I was saying. Hunter Dickinson comes in and has an amazing year and he's a one and done. And Austin Davis, his eligibility is over with Michigan has got to get a center for next year, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and hopefully Hunter comes back, but you also are going to need a top level point guard. I'm talking about elite you know, win a big 10 type of point guard. And so that takes your class to five right there. And, and that really limits where you go from there. Um, there's a lot of really good kids that, that are available. And, and, and then I throw Jaden Aikens in there too. Um, he, he's another, he's another guard. And so I just, I'm thinking if, 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 if your recruiting class extends to that point, you don't have any room next year if there is an elite level transfer that wants to come in. And the last thing you want to do is run off kids that have been there in the past, like an Adrian Nunez. Wow. Um I, I just think that, that, that high school recruiting has changed a lot. And I talked to a D one coach at a mid major school that said, I no longer recruit high school players. And his point was hmm. if players are given the power to transfer without penalty, if a kid's really good, he's going to leave. And if a kid is struggling, he's going to leave too. So college basketball is becoming more and more like free agency in the NBA. And I think that, that that in this case, you you build your class at the beginning with with high four stars and five stars, and then you fill the class in. With guys that that are three stars and have potential as a four year player.
2: Yeah, I think. Look, I I think the strategy is sound. I I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think that that's a bad way to go. <laughs> uh, I I actually think that it it it's not at all. It's not that inconsistent with with my belief in that. I agree. I think that you're going to see basketball be kind of college basketball kind of be like this this transient kind of deal where guys are moving around a lot, which is why I don't worry as much about space. So that that tends to be what I hear from college coaches is I'm not in, in this day and age, and I think John Beeline's evolution on this point, long before we got in deep into this transfer portal and then this open transfer policy that's on the horizon, he had to get right with the idea that I might not look at my class or I might look at my class and I might not see an available scholarship. You know, I might think that I'm full, but what I gotta anticipate is I gotta look at my roster and know all these guys aren't staying. Someone's gonna leave. So don't get don't get so caught up in feeling like, hey, you know, man, I, I just took this guy and I don't know if I don't know if I'm gonna have room to to really add someone down the line. Just anticipate having some room. You got six spots in this class. You're right, you need a you need a big Michigan is in on some on some big time centers, they made the cut for for Chet Holmgren. They made the cut for Charles Bediako. Uh, you got Efton Reed out there that they're still pursuing. So they are in on some big time, uh, five star, top twenty five bigs. Uh, you are still in on some wings and some guards. You got Trevor Keels out there. I know you mentioned Matt Cleveland last week. Uh, you know you got Jay Nakins out there. They just made the the cut for Angelo Brizzy, a point guard. Uh, you know you if you add a big, uh, you know another wing. Uh, maybe a, a guard in there. Maybe you you know if you if you do a a a a guy like Jalen Worley who can be a point guard, he can he can actually function as a, you know the the guard piece to the puzzle. And maybe you could throw another forward in there to go with a big. So there's still some flexibility in there. But I I think the prevailing theme for me is I wouldn't be so worried about space, Tim. I think if you need to add a guy, this day and age you're gonna have space to add a guy.
3: And Sam, you've got me worried because I just, I just had a, I just had an image in my mind. If there's no college basketball this, this year, which is a possibility, uh, what's Michigan's roster going to look like next year? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> they're going to have, going to be
2: approaching twenty guys. Hey, hey, but you know what? I, no, I, everyone's in the same boat. Who yeah. knows what your <laughs> roster is going to look like if there's no one knows that. No one knows that.
3: That's why we'll I, tackle that in yeah. podcast number twenty six.
2: <laughs> right? Absolutely. So. Again, uh, you know, Will Cheddar, a guy who, again, is, is going to be a dude that is not an instant impact guy. He's a guy that you have to grow and nurture over time. And it'll be interesting to see how he develops because, Tim, look, you aren't the only one. I want to be clear here. You aren't the only one to ex- express uncertainty about what he will be. And talking to Brian Snow, one of our... One of our basketball recruiting analysts over on Twenty Four Seven, he said, "Look, I look at his level of competition. He doesn't play great competition. He's he's not playing the Chet Holmgrens of the world in Minnesota in the in the league in the area he plays in. And then he doesn't play with the big AAU program, so he's not seeing seeing him on the summer circuit either. So there is there is uncertainty about how he will how he will function against comparable and greater talent." You know he has baseline of six eight and can, or six eight or six nine, and can shoot it at that size. And as you pointed out, Tim, he played football, so there is some inherent toughness there. But how exactly he's going to fit into the puzzle is certainly right away. That's an unknown at this point.
0: Selling a little or a lot. to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast.
2: Agreed. Let's move on. All right. So <laughs> a great place to move on. Is, you know, there are a lot of people who had some, uh, they, they felt like it was uncertain what Nick Stauskas was going to be at this level. Here you had a Canadian guy. We saw a lot of mixtapes uh, of him coming out of high school. But what was he going to be when he got to the University of Michigan? Because he wasn't, I mean, he went on to be the Big Ten player of the year, Tim, but he didn't come in with that kind of acclaim. He didn't come in five star rating, you know, two and done guy. No one, none of the pundits were saying that about Nick Stauskas.
3: And yet that's what he grew into here. He was um one of the best shooters in Michigan basketball history. Um I put him right up there with Duncan Robinson. Um I thought Leslie Rockymore was one of the great shooters. I mean, there have been a lot of them. Glenn Rice. Um yeah, how how can how could I forget that one? Um, but but Nick Staskis is truly um a legend based on the fact that he was a big ten player of the year, an all-American, a champion. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk to him.
2: All right, so now we are going to add to this podcast one of the all-time greats on the court and one of the all-time great guests, one of the all-time great Wolverines. watched him come in and go from being a role player to being a star, being a guy who should have been on the Big Ten all-decade team. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, my personal vote. But joined right now by Nick Stauskas with us here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Nick, how you doing? I'm good Sam how are you and thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. So uh Tim, I know you guys had a, a chance to catch up during the season and I believe when you guys talked, right? Weren't you guys talking about a about nuptials, about pending nuptials?
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I,
3: you're going to be a married man soon. Nick, what what's what's going on with that? Congratulations.
4: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm, yeah, officially gonna be off the market on August eighth.
3: <laughs> um,
4: uh, getting, I'm getting married to my lovely wife, Alexandra, well, soon-to-be wife. Um, and yeah, we're gonna get married here uh, at our house. We have a house on the Jersey Shore. Um, so we're just going to do something really small, uh, just with like kind of our immediate family and and closest friends. Um, but yeah, we were supposed to do a a bigger wedding in New York, but just with COVID and everything, it didn't work out, but we're still, um, just very excited to celebrate that day. That day, the day, August 8th is very special to us, um, in the past. So we wanted to honor that day and still celebrate.
3: Well, look on the bright side, Nick, you're going to save a ton of money by having a small wedding. So it counts the same.
4: Yeah, 100%. I agree. I agree.
3: Oh, good. So I, I'm really looking forward to this interview. And in the history of Michigan basketball, if you were to ask me my favorite basketball players and the criteria I was asked to use is really good people and really good players. Nick, you you are without question in my top five, and you are the first repeat guest on the Michigan basketball insider podcast. And so I'm going to run through your resume. I, I know our listeners will know it, but um, from Canada, all American in 2014, big 10 player of the year, top 10 pick five different NBA teams. And this year you played in Spain. I know you were never really hundred uh, percent. So can you give our, our, our listeners a little bit of an update on your health and your, your plans for the future? Yeah, I mean, right now,
4: uh, I had surgery in February on my knee, so that cut my season short in Spain. Um, I came back to the United States uh, to get the surgery done. And uh, yeah, just the past four or five months, I've the main focus has just been rehabbing and getting myself completely healthy. So I actually just started um, working out on court again these past two, three weeks. So uh, I'm starting to ramp things up again and just get myself ready for whatever next season is going to bring. Um, you know, I think with the schedules kind of being changed right now and the world kind of being in a weird place, um, I'm just keeping an open mind right now in terms of, you know, what next year can bring and where I'm going to play. Um, so, you know, my agent and I were talking with teams. Um, I would love, I mean, my goal is 100%, like I know if I'm healthy, I believe truly I'm an NBA caliber player. So um, that's still the goal for me to get back there and prove that I belong. So that's that's kind of the mindset right now. And I'm going to keep striving towards achieving that.
3: Yeah, and that's what we believe too, Nick. Uh, so, Absolutely. So you, if you played in Europe, and, and what was that like? And, and did you see a lot of Michigan fans overseas?
4: You know what? The, I did not see as many Michigan fans as I would as I would have thought just because I know the alumni um, from Michigan is kind of worldwide. Um, but the experience overall in, in Spain was cool. I mean, it was my first time really spending a good amount of time over there. So uh, it was a new experience for me. A lot of challenges with languages and obviously different culture, different lifestyle, different food. But um, overall, I I feel like it was a positive experience because I was able to keep learning and growing and um, definitely have a new appreciation for the talent level of basketball worldwide. You know, a lot of guys over there that I had never heard of, never seen play before, but, um, you know, just opened my eyes to how much talent there is all around the world and how many kids are, you know, striving to become the next You know, Luka Doncic or Dirk Nowitzki or whatever it is like, you know, it's the basketball is huge over there and the popularity is amazing. So um, the atmosphere of the games, you know, over there was something that I really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe I'll be back there again someday. But, um, you know, if if I do, I, you know, it's still a positive experience and the level of basketball is, is very high.
2: You know, Nick, I wonder if you could take us back to your journey to 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 Michigan. Uh, The journey in your game, even into being an NBA player, because I remember watching, you know, your your high school, your mixtape, your highlight tape. Uh, And there was I mean, you were a guy who as a as a Canadian guy and I was surprised by it. You had a lot of swag to your game. I mean, there was there was edge to you. There was some there was some flavor to you. And I wonder where that comes from, because I remember going back in the early 2000s. And tell me, do you remember a tournament called Rumble in the T Dot? Used to be a yep. yeah, it used to be a tournament up there. I used to go up there and there were some good players, but not like Nick Stauski. So I wonder where where was that evolution? Where did that come from to you having that kind of game? So when you set foot in the door at Michigan, you were ready to go. Um, I don't know. I think
4: I think just my generation in general, like a lot of the kids that were born in the nineties, um, in Toronto or in Canada in general, you know, we grew up having at the NBA round, you know, the Raptors were in our city. We, you know, Vince Carter was someone we all looked up to. So for the first time, my generation in Canada, we had someone to watch someone to look up to. Um, and I think you can just see in general how many Canadians there are that are playing in college basketball or playing in the NBA. I think a lot of that is due to the NBA coming to Canada. Um, but in general, for me, I just, I was a guy my whole career who I wasn't, I was never highly touted in high school um, you know, wasn't the guy that was getting recruited by like Duke and North Carolina and all those schools. Like that just wasn't me. And for me, I felt like I should be, you know, on that level. At least I believed mm-hmm. it in my mind. And so I always right. kind of had that chip on my shoulder and always felt somewhat slighted. And um, I think that just came out on the court. And I, I think to mix with that as well is just the love that I have for the game. Like I truly love playing basketball and uh for me. Like, you know, playing the game and, you know, having fun with it and like, you know, talking a little bit of smack. That's that's what makes the game enjoyable. That's what makes it interesting for me. And uh, I think that shows when I'm on the court. So uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that people kind of enjoy that part of my game and my personality.
3: Hey, Nick, I want to go back down memory lane um, to your freshman year. Uh, because it makes me smile and I think back to to Trey Burke and Hardaway and Trey Robinson um, and you all double figure scores and you had McGarry and Jordan Morgan at the five and Karis LeVert was on that team what was that season like for you especially as a freshman
4: it was honestly so amazing because I mean one you go you know it's your first experience playing college basketball and um you know I think We started that year 16 and 0, and you could just see from day one there was that like chemistry that we had, there was that bond that we all shared, the same like kind of underdog mentality that we all had, and it's just um, it was so much fun. Like we we truly enjoyed playing together every single day, whether it was in practice or in the games, and uh, to make it as far as we did, you know, to you know be ranked number one and then play all the way in the national championship that year. it was uh, it was just such a it was such a huge year for all of us and uh, for you know for me as a freshman it gave me that confidence of like oh okay I know I belong now I, and you know I got a taste of playing with Trey and playing with Tim those guys went to the NBA and you know for all for me Glenn Carrison and a lot of other guys we were like okay we know what it takes now to to be at the highest level and so. Um, I think it was just fun that, that we all shared that same goal, same mentality of wanting to win, wanting to play in the NBA together. And um, it just made the game fun. And obviously playing for that coaching staff with, you know, Coach Beeline and all the assistants, they were unbelievable. And, you know, they taught us a lot as well. It wasn't always easy, but uh, we, we, we grew constantly. We were always learning, which was, you know, it was really cool to look back at that.
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite teams uh, from the guys on it. Covering you guys, going back to high school to the coaches who are all knew, knew them all really well. It just really felt like that that journey, like we were along for the ride. But there were just things that we didn't know on the outside, Nick. And I wonder if you could take us in because I, I wonder when you guys kind of realized that you know what this is this is a championship team. I, I think of when you guys went up to Michigan State. And I know there may be some Michigan fans that might have been like, man, I don't know if this team has it in them this year because that was a blowout. But a few weeks later, you guys win. And then, of course, you get knocked out of the Big Ten tournament early, but then you go on the run. So was there ever any doubt for you guys? And and when was the light bulb moment if for you or for the team where you guys knew, hey, man, we can win the title this year?
4: Listen, I remember th- for me, there's a specific moment where it hit me where I was like, oh, OK, we have a chance. I remember it was the first two games of the Big Ten season my freshman year. We started the season at Northwestern. Um, We went there. We beat them by 30. And then we came home a couple of days later and, and played Iowa at Chrysler. And we beat them by 35. And then I remember that game finished and we went back to the dorm room. And I remember it was me, Spike, uh glenn karis and mitch it was all the freshmen we were looking at each other and said we're not going to lose a game this year (laughs) like we we like looked around and we were like we might not lose the game and that was the moment for me like looking back where we just had that confidence to us we just all had that same mindset same belief Where we are like man no one's touching us this year and the cool thing is is looking back we did have some bumps in that in that season like we didn't finish the Big 10 year the way we wanted to. We lost some games, you know, at Penn State. There was other couple of tough losses we took, but no matter what, I we I, we all still believed that we were the best team in the country, and I think come tournament time, that's why we were able to go as far as we did because we we truly truly believed that we belonged to be there.
3: And Nick Stoskis is our guest, and I was at the game in Atlanta um, when you played Louisville, and it was such a great game. Do you ever think back to that game? Is is there a moment, a play, a decision that you, you thought if we would have done that just a little bit different, we would have won that and been a national champ?
4: Um, well, I think back to that game, and it was tough. We, we were playing so well in the first half, and Spike obviously carried us with Trey being in foul trouble, but it was Luke Hancock who really changed the whole momentum of the game in the last three, four minutes of the first half where he kind of went with those four consecutive threes and all of a sudden it's a ball game. And um, I mean, I don't know if there's anything we could have done differently looking back at it, but I just wish that that three, four minutes segment was different because I feel like if we never let him go for those four straight threes to end the first half, there's no way we were losing that game. Um, but obviously in basketball, momentum is a huge, it's a, you know, it's a huge factor. And anytime you can reel off four straight threes and go into halftime, feeling good about yourself, you know, you're going to come out in that second half and, and probably play your best basketball. And that's what Louisville did. They, you know, they played solid all throughout that second half. And even when you look late in that game, that block that Trey had on Peyton Siva, I mean, again, like, we did everything we could. Some calls didn't go our way. You know, some bounces didn't go our way. And um, at the end of the day, you have to tip your cat to Louisville. That was a hell of a team that they put together. But uh, yeah, no, there's definitely, there's definitely some times where you look back and think, man, what if, you know, what if we did things a little differently?
2: What if Nick, I, I, cause I want to round out and talking about you specifically, but I, I'm curious because I've seen many of you guys talk about how things would have been different if, if Mitch McGarry doesn't get hurt, if he plays that that sophomore season fully healthy, what do you think that would have meant for the team? What do you think that would have meant for Mitch? It would have been huge for both.
4: When I think about the team in particular, I think about our loss to Kentucky in the Elite Eight and, you know, the um, see, there was a the guy coming off the bench, Marcus Lee, I believe was his name. He went from pretty much unknown to like an NBA draft pick after that game. And he killed us mainly on offensive rebounds that game. And that's one of the biggest things I think of, of like, if we had Mitch out there, that game is completely different. You know, we're not having a trial. We're not having any problems with the with the offensive glass, and you know, we have a big body to keep on Marcus Lee, and the whole dynamic of that game would have changed. So I, that's something that I always think about. And then for Mitch personally, I mean, people thought I was crazy. I think the Big Ten posted something on their Instagram they from did. a recent podcast <laughs> where I said uh, people don't people didn't see what who Mitch McGarry was in August before our sophomore year, right before he hurt his back. I can't make this up. We were playing open gyms and he was by far head and shoulders above everyone on our team. He was our best player. He was doing everything. He was rebounding, he was going coast to coast off the dribble, he was hitting threes. His court vision was unbelievable for a guy his size. He was able to to start the break and, you know, make the right decision. And we were looking at each other saying, "Man, we we will have a chance this year because we were I mean, even though we lost Trey and Tim, You know we we knew what we had with that you know with those you know freshmen coming back so um for me personally I know some people think I'm crazy I think Mitch could have been a top pick in 2014 and I know they had Wiggins and Embiid and Jabari Parker that year but he was on that level I I can't make that up before his injury he was on that level
2: Tim Tim I was at the LeBron James camp that summer so after they went to the title game and mitch and and glenn they were both there and nick is spot on tim i mean he was you know just watching him work out against those other other college guys top college guys and pros mitch was on a different i i co-signed that 100 he was on a different level man
3: all right let me let me share as well because i was i was at the top 100 camp with nick and with mitch and mitch was doing the same things there he would grab a rebound and would just start dribbling and people would be bouncing off him and moving out of the way and he would dunk the ball and yell out with a primal scream and i have never (laughs) seen anything like that am i right or am i wrong Nick?
4: no 100 that sounds pretty accurate i can i'm picturing that scream that he does right now and uh No, he was, he was really special. And I think that summer was the first time where he, you know, when he made the decision to come back to school, he was a projected lottery pick. And I think in his mind, his goal was, I can be a top pick if I commit myself to my body, my diet, my game. And that was the first summer where I saw Mitch take things really serious. You know, Mitch is a guy, a playful guy. And that was the first time where I saw him turn the switch and be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really focus. I'm going to lock in and I'm going to put the time that I need to put on my body, on my game. And it showed. And to this day, it's so frustrating that, you know he had to get surgery on his back and things played out the way they did because i truly truly feel he could have been a top pick in that draft.
2: Well, you All know right. yeah, yeah, Oh, you're killing me. Yeah. Tim, Tim, we have these moments man where where it just hits us and <laughs> i go i go back to that you you mentioned the primal scream uh you take it from here Tim but i remember the first primal scream that i heard Mitch McGarry make was uh was heading into his senior year he was at the at the AAU championships down in Florida. And everyone was there, including John Beeline. He did what he let out one of those screams. You would have thought John, you have thought Coach Beeline would have was going to faint, <laughs> was going to pass out. He was so upset by it. But to see him be accepting of that, to be like, hey man, this is this is a guy we can ride. That was another part of that, that journey to see the metamorphosis of, of John Beeline there. That was just
3: a special group. Yeah, it was. So I want to put Nick on the spot and maybe you can help out, Sam. I want to hear. I, I know the love that you have for John Beeline and the success of the program over the last decade. I'm going to make you choose your all decade team. And and, and the, the most the easiest one is Nick Stoskis at shooting guard. So I'll take that out of your hands because I know you're a humble guy. Who are your five guys That you would surround yourself with. You're the shooting guard. Who else would you have on the team? I mean,
4: I'm extremely biased when I when I pick this group. But I would go Trey at the one. I'd go myself at the two. Um, I really want to just put our starting lineup from our freshman year, because we (laughs) I love that team so much. But obviously there's a lot of other high quality guys, like, you know, I would consider putting Evan Turner. Maybe at the three.
3: No, I'm saying this is the all Michigan team.
4: Oh, I thought you. Oh, okay. If I'm doing all Michigan team, I'm picking that. I'm. Oh, actually, no, I can't do that. I got to put Mo Wagner in there. Ooh. Okay. I would go. Okay. I would go. Tim at the three. Mo Wagner at the four. And I would go Mitch McGarry at the
3: five. Okay. So there's no, there's no Derek Walton, right? No, no. Okay. All right. Strong. Um, and then no, let's see who who else would you consider? Maybe Duncan I was Robinson? considering
4: I was considering Karras and Tim Hardaway at the
3: <laughs>
4: at the three.
2: But yeah, I I agree with your your pick because if you're just doing college, if you're just doing college, we, you know Karis obviously had a uh, he had the injuries to deal with. Uh, yeah. in college. So that you know, I, I think that kind of that kind of yeah maybe
4: Tim look. maybe yeah I'd probably go with Tim then maybe.
3: All right. Read it out for us. Who, who do you have?
4: Who are your five? So my five would be my five would be Trey, myself, Tim, Mo and
3: Mitch. Nice, nice, nice. I Before we let you go, I um, want to find out a little bit about, you know, how you've been handling the quarantine. Um, where, where are you staying? What have you been doing to stay busy? Uh, so yeah, um,
4: my fiance and I, we've been, we have a house. Uh, well, her family has a house kind of in the Jersey Shore area. Um, so we've pretty much been here since the whole quarantine happened in March. But, um, we have a fitness room here, and at the beginning of March, I, you know, basically just had surgery, so I knew I was gonna have to, you know, have a place where I'm rehabbing and equipment to do all the necessary exercises. So. I pretty much went on Amazon and ordered all the equipment I could imagine of. And, you know, we pretty much built a fitness room here. So I've had a great setup and it's been kind of good because I don't leave the house much. So even on the days where, you know, I don't feel like doing anything, um, there's so much time in my day right now where, you know, I'm still consistent. No matter what, every day I'm getting at least an hour, hour and a half of, you know, physical therapy or lifting. Um, And even, you know, now, thankfully, I'm able to get back on the court. Um, so I'm staying busy with that, but, um, it's been, it's also been kind of refreshing because, you know, my life is, you know, as a professional athlete, your life is busy. You're always traveling, you're always on the go, you know, everything can be hectic, um, at times. And this is probably the first time in my life where I've kind of got to take a deep breath and even just reflect a little bit. Like, I think this has been good for just my mental as well. Um, you know, just being able to take a step back and. After the surgery, just focus on getting healthy physically, mentally, feeling good about myself. Um, so, those are, I mean, that's really kind of been my main focus here. And um, also with that, we've been pretty busy with trying to, you know, plan this whole wedding on our own here at the beach. So there's a little bit of preparation that's gone into that. Um, but, yeah, no, we're we're staying busy uh, over here. My fiance, she's um, she's finishing up law school right now. So she's doing her classes online. So she's busy with that. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been good. I'm definitely at the point now where I'm looking forward to next season beginning, um, no matter where, you know, where that ends up being for me. But um, it's been a while since I've you know been on the court playing in a serious competitive environment. So uh, starting to get a little bit antsy again, but at the same time, just still trying to take my time on my rehab and and getting
2: back out there. A couple of questions from our listeners, your fans, Nick, before we let you go, just a couple. And let me just say real quick. Uh whoever does the Big Ten, did the Big Ten all decade team that put Aaron Kraft on that team, a guy who what? who Aaron Kraft <laughs> was third team, never made all Big Ten. You got the Big Ten player of the year in Nick Stauskas, And you put Aaron Kraft on that. Te- I'm just saying. It, one of those things that if I'm Nick Stauskas, that's just a, another chip on the shoulder right there, Nick. But I got I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling slighted. I'm feeling very slighted.
3: <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> All right, so we got we got a couple questions real quick from uh, from our listeners and one of them uh, speaking of having a a little swag, a little chip on your shoulder. They said, "Nick, a question for you." Uh, and this is from Wolverine Jet. Wants to know which moment was better. The Wisconsin step back 3 blowing a kiss at blowing a kiss at MSU or the 3 during the USA chant at Illinois.
4: Ooh Ah, uh, that's a tough one. I I think I'm going to go with the Wisconsin step back 3 just because th- there was it wasn't just the shot, it was a significant moment in like for me because you know the the backstory on that one was the play before coach Bline drew up a play for me and I had the open shot, I hesitated and almost turned the ball over and he called a timeout afterwards and in the timeout, he chewed me out and said, listen, if you don't want the ball, let me know. I'll drop a play for someone else. And that like, that irked me. I was like, no, 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 Run it back. Like, give me the ball. And so on that play, when I hit the step back, um, if you, if you watch the replay after I hit it, when I walked to the bench, it zooms in on my face and I said, I want this. And that for me was a significant moment because It was like a turning point for me, confidence wise, where I was like, "Okay, I'm the I'm the man and I know I can handle that. Like, I'm comfortable with it now. I'm not going to shy away. I'm not going to be scared of the moment. Like, I'm ready. I have put in the work. I'm here. I'm ready. And so for me, that was a big moment, obviously, because we won the game. But for me personally, confidence wise, it was a it was a huge moment for me.
2: All right. This one from Saving Adam Ryan. Uh, Nick, which Big Ten defender played you the best, in your opinion, during your time in college? Um, well, you know,
4: although Aaron Kraft, you know, made the team and made the third team, and you know, we t- just talked about that. He was someone who was extremely tough. But I, the person I would say, just historically, I didn't play well against was um, Yogi Ferrell at Indiana, and during my sophomore year. When, um, you know, I started, you know, becoming a little bit more um, more used in our offense, teams w- started to put their smaller point guards on me and they tried to speed me up, try to get in me, try to, you know, you know just, just mess with me a little bit. And Yogi, out of all the players, I think he did the best job of that. He's quick, he's low to the ground, he's strong. And, um, for me, it was, it was something new. I was used to going up against, you know, other wing players who were six, five, six, six, and it was a huge adjustment, you know, going up against Yogi, who was kind of just underneath me the entire game. Like I always just felt him there. And, uh, it was definitely bothersome to the point where I've, I, I, think I had one of my worst games my sophomore year in Indiana, um, and yeah, so I definitely give him credit for that. He was a tough, he was a tough guy to go up against.
2: All right. And last one, this is from Dr. Kang. This is a Tim McCormick style question right here. All right. So uh, from Dr. Kang. Nick, 2012, 13, 2012, 2013 Wolverines versus the 2013-2014 Wolverines. Who <laughs> wins? Now, now let's set this set the scenario right. This is a fully healthy Mitch McGarry oh, on your on wow. your sophomore team. This is Big Ten player of the year, Nick Stauskis. So wow. you know your your better version of yourself versus the freshman version of yourself, the better version of Mitch versus the freshman yeah. version of Mitch. Of course, you got you still got Tim, you got Tim and you got Trey on that team and all that. Who wins that match? That's tough. I think I still, uh, I think I still have to go with our freshman
4: with my freshman year because, like, man, Trey was Trey was national player of the year that year. Like he was. Trey was on a different level my, that 2012, 2013 year and then obviously Tim and whole freshman class, I just uh, again, I just think that the the bond and the chemistry that that team shared was special. It was it was unlike any other team I've been on so I would probably have to go with freshman
3: year.
2: I man, you know, Nick, we could do a whole show with you, man. I mean, like a like a series. <laughs> <laughs>
3: just well, Sam, he was the first two time guest right. and he will certainly be the first three times. So it was really good talking to you, Nick. We're so excited for your wedding. Um, stay safe and healthy. And we'll see you back in the NBA in a hurry.
4: Of course. I appreciate you, Tim. I appreciate you, Sam. Thank you for having me guys on. And yeah, definitely. Anytime you guys want to chop it up, talk some hoops, give me a call and I'm there.
2: Man, Tim, that was fun. It's fun catching up with Nick. You know, it's I love any Michigan team as I'm sure you do. But it's different. It is different for me when when we're talking to guys and and when when I've watched guys that I knew and I watch come up. I remember Nick stowski's before he got to Michigan like the summer between his junior and senior years coming uh to WTKA and us sitting down in the in the studio and during an interview he'll tell you he'll say like I was a nobody then he wasn't a nobody to me or to to Michigan fans but you know to to watch him grow and blossom into what he became to watch that team go on the run in 2013 it j- you I just felt it deeper because I knew all those guys so well
3: part of the fresh five <laughs> I never really liked that name but he was was so smooth and he um, he immediately made me think about Rex Chapman at Kentucky. I, th- I thought that they would be the same kind of a player. Nick was always bouncy and and so athletic. And I um, sometimes it makes me question my ability in analyzing players because I just thought his game was tailor made NBA. And I, I've been surprised that he had five different teams in five years and did not become a legitimate starter. Injury is part of the problem. But he's still young enough at 26 that I think he's he's got a chance to get back to the league.
2: I hope he goes to a team. I hope he goes to a good team. You know, I, a, a team where he can he can be a specialist that grows into more than that. Uh, because yeah. I, I, I think that there is a benefit. Like if you compare him to Duncan Robinson – I think, and we talked about this on the podcast before, I don't think that Duncan is a better shooter than Nick. I think that Duncan started out in a better situation than Nick. One that mm-hmm. one that wasn't as pressure-packed. Now, some of that is due to Nick being a lottery guy. So, I mean, who, who doesn't want to be a lottery guy? But the problem is you go to a bad team uh, where they are expecting you to carry a load they are expecting you to move the meter for your team as opposed to hey you fill in the gaps. And Duncan, there was, you know, there's there's pressure in being on a team, but it's not as much pressure as when you're expected to be a guy on that team. So I'm hoping that Nick finds himself back in the NBA in that kind of role on a good team where they can say hey Nick, hit some shots. When you get when you get the ball, shoot the ball. We're going to draw it up. We're going to make sure you get your shot. Shoot the ball. And then grow from there. If he gets in a situation like that, I'm like you, Tim. I think Nick. I think Nick Stauskas can play in the NBA. I think he should be in the NBA. I think he
3: will be in the NBA. Right, and and we talked a little bit about this with Michigan's team. That to me, his his inconsistency is based on the fact that his shot is different whenever he shoots. Um, his shot is different in the first quarter. Than it is in the fourth quarter when his legs are a little bit tired. His shot is a little bit different in back-to-back games because he's a little bit tired. And the problem is, and I and I am. Um, I'll go back to Daryl Griffith at Louisville. Um, Daryl Griffith from the Utah Jazz. He was such a high leaper on his shot that just brings so much more inconsistency into that shot. And so I think that if I was Nick, I would encourage him. To jump a little bit less and try to gain consistency in his release
2: yeah I always wonder you know guys who shooting is their forte right you know how how often how willing are they to 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 tweak you know to tweak their shot I would have thought that Reggie Miller I there had to be people who told Reggie Miller like what are you doing <laughs> right I mean yeah. there, there had to be uh-huh. someone in his life that's like how are you shooting the basket you gotta change this man and he probably uh-huh. said hey it goes in. I'm just, hey, Reggie Miller. You know how he talked? He probably said, "Look, I'm not. If it ain't broke, don't fix it." So I, I wonder, is that a, is that a thing that will mess with the guy's head if you take a shooter and you say, "Hey, let's mess with your shot."
3: Well, it's it's all about confidence, and maybe deep inside there there are questions. I I can remember throughout a lot of my career, I always wanted to get to the free throw line before I took a shot. Mm-hmm. Because I was a good free throw shooter, and it's a good way to build your confidence to kind of get into that feel good zone, and and when you're relying on knocking down an 18 foot jump shot, you know when, when you come in cold, that's not easy to do. So, um, but 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 Nick, truly a beautiful shooter and one of the best all time in Michigan history. Thanks, Nick.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Nick, and one of my favorite guys, I must say. Uh, Michigan picked up another commitment. Uh, Getting back to the here and now, they picked up a a second commitment uh, since the last podcast we did. Grand Rapids Christian combo guard, Kobe Bufkin. uh, He was down to a final five, Tim, of Michigan, Michigan State, DePaul, LSU, and Ohio State. And he chose Michigan. There are some folks that obviously you know how the rivalry goes. There are some Michigan State folks that were like, oh, well, Hey, Michigan State was off the board when he picked up when he when he picked Michigan because uh, because they grabbed Max Christie. He actually committed to decided upon and committed to Michigan before Max Christie's decision. So this wasn't a reactionary thing. This was a guy that genuinely picked Michigan because he thought it was the was the best spot. And if you talk to a lot, you talk to coaches, his AAU coach, his head coach, you know, folks that have sort of watched his development, Tim they feel like this kid is just scratching the surface of how good he can be.
3: And to add another name, Sam, Pierre Brooks had already committed to Michigan State as well. So Kobe Buffkins is a star recruit. Excellent future. Um, I was excited to see him at the Michigan League 25 camp last summer, but he was injured and did not attend. So just like, like, like in um, the situation with Cheddar, I only saw Kobe on video, but I saw everything that I needed for sure. He looks like a big 10 recruit. He moves with ease. He's multi-positional at what, six, six or so. And and at first when I watched him, I, I watched the tape the first time I thought, you know, he, he's coasting. He, he's not going that hard. And as I watched more, he has that unique ability that, that he's a premier athlete that just guide glides and, and he makes it look so darn easy. He's a little bit thin right now, and he can add so much strength to his frame. Um, I'm big on demeanor, Sam, and and he is not a self promoter. Mm-hmm. He plays with this like this mature approach, um, where he's not trying to show anybody. Up. He knows his game. He's loaded with substance. Um, I think he's going to start for Michigan early in his career, and and especially when you consider the fact. That 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 Mo Wagner or not Mo Wagner Franz Wagner is is going to be in the NBA probably sooner than later, and so you want to have guys like Kobe Bufkin that can come in. I, I saw no red flags or concerns. I'm really anxious to see him play in person.
2: Yeah, your your co-signing of this. It sounds a lot like his coach at Grand Rapids Christian, uh, Eric Taylor, who was effusive in his praise of his his young star and his growth and development. Sam Webb here with the coach of Michigan's newest commitment, the young man named Kobe Bufkin, 6'4", 175 pounds, and his coach, Eric Taylor, uh, has been there and helped guide him down his basketball path so far. So, Coach Taylor, how are you?
5: Good, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. All right, so let's
2: just... Before we start talking about his decision to go to Michigan, I want I want you to tell our listeners about the the young man, how he is off the court, and then take us into his growth on the court into one of the top shooting guards in the country.
5: Yeah, well, well, Kobe and himself, you know, you you often hear coaches always say, you know, he's a great kid, but I mean, he he truly is um, a really good kid. I mean, he uh, really takes a lot of time. He's very passionate about his craft. He puts a lot of hard work. And one of the things I think I try to uh, convey this to young basketball players: time as the the, uh, the the X factor, meaning the quality of time that you put in. Because I think you know kids put in a lot of time, but it's the quality of the time. It's the purpose. It's the intentionality to what you're doing. And I think Kobe has really uh, learned to. Uh, Grow in that way and his attention to details is really uh, matured Um, but off the court he's a humble kid you know he works hard you know um, he's kind of kid that's always in the gym just kind of a gym rat and working on his game and I I think that's why he's having the level of success um, that he's having
2: so for people who haven't seen him play kind of give us the scouting report kind of you know, tell us what his strengths are, and then the the areas, the aspects of his game that you like to see him improve upon.
5: Absolutely, you know, um, to start out with his his uh, his strengths, uh, Kobe is uh, to me his versatility is probably one of the things that stands out to most as as a coach. Um, his he, uh, ability to make plays, his ability to handle the ball, his ability to shoot the ball, I think, makes him very difficult to guard. I think being able to score at all three levels, uh, Kobe can get to the basket. Um, he has a nice mid-range game, um, and he's really uh, he's a good three-point shooter. Um, and, you know, he's really good in the open floor. So I, I think the versatility allows him to be able to play in most collegiate systems. Um, and that's just a testament to not only his skill set, but I think his basketball IQ. Um, areas that uh, of growth that he has to work on and him and I talk about this. I think if you really want to be good, you got to be open to constructive criticism, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very constructive with him. And in, in, in terms of he has to get in the weight room, he has to get stronger. Um, it's one aspect, uh, he has to get better defensively. You know, I think he's a very good defender. Um, uh, but I think he has the ability to be a, a really great defender and that's really just taking more pride on the other end of the floor. And then just continuously, uh, work on, you know, he's a lefty. So we really try to encourage him to work more on on going to the right and finishing with his right hand, but also finishing with the pull-up going right. So those are areas of growth that I think he needs to work on, and those are things that we'll be focusing on throughout the summer and into the fall and into the season to hopefully prepare him to be ready as much as we can at the high school level to be ready for a collegiate type of atmosphere.
2: So as far as I'm sure that, some of the college coaches that you talk to maybe compare them to someone but whether it's that or comparisons you have made yourself is there a player in college of the pros that you compare him to you've heard him compared to
5: you know what not 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 really um i i i see him as a uh, you know who could i compare him to i'm not sure if anyone comes to mind right now mm-hmm. but uh i, I just uh, you, there's a lot of things I like to say that are versatile, you know, and, and, you know, a three level score is what I see them. Um, but his ability to create separation and get his own shot off, I think is a unique uh, skill that Kobe, Kobe has. Um, I think that will lend itself to give him more success. Uh, he's good at coming off screens. He's pretty good in the, in, in, um, in the, uh, pick and roll situations, which, you know, obviously you continue to get better. And the other thing that I say for Kobe is it's really, it's, it's, learning curve, and it's a process. Um, you're going to continually get better at reading screens because you're going to mature and understand the game. You're going to see the game differently now when you see the difference uh, when you're freshman year. And after you're freshman year, you see the game different going into your sophomore year. So really it's just a, a process that I think all great players and basketball players go through.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. So as we, as we sort of get into the recruiting process – he winds up with a, a pretty decorated top five, Michigan State, Ohio State, LSU, you know, DePaul. What made Michigan stand out from as you've watched his recruitment unfold unfold, and talk to him? What was it about Michigan that, that set Michigan apart and made it the place?
5: You know, uh, I, I really think it was his visit. And I think his connection to Coach uh, Jawan Howard and Coach Soddy Washington at Michigan. Uh, Soddy had a rapport with Kobe uh, prior to uh, Jawan coming to the University of Michigan. Uh, while Coach Beeline was there, Coach Saudi came down to some of our practices and got a chance to watch Kobe and was really, really uh, intrigued by Kobe's uh, abilities. And so Michigan was, was on the radar in terms of his recruitment, but then when Coach Beeline left, you know, with Jawan coming in, um, I think it was partially Shadi saying, hey, you know what, we got to keep an eye on this kid. You know, I got a chance to see this kid over the last year or so. Um, I like the trajectory that it's going. And so I think um, – and then once Coach Jawan had a chance to see him come and play, I mean watch him play, then I think that piqued his interest as well. And I think once Kobe had his visit and then the phone dialogue, the conversation – I think there was really a a deep connection there with Jawan that made University of Michigan very intriguing for Kobe um, to be a part of that program. So I think it was a a, a part of the recruitment. Um, Prior to the pandemic, he had a chance to visit campus and go in the locker room. So I think those things uh, sparked the interest as well. Um, I think the opportunity to be home and uh, play in his backyard at, at at a great program uh, was another uh factor that came into his decision making mm-hmm.
2: so you uh, know one of the things that you know anytime you you get a player it, it'd be great if they came from a winning environment and that's what he's coming from you know over there over there with you guys at, at christian i mean, I think weren't you guys weren't you guys twenty and two at the shutdown is that i mean you you were having a great season, right?
5: Yeah, yeah, we were we, we had a really good year. You know, we were we were 20-2 prior to the shutdown, and, you know, obviously Kobe played a big part of that. But, uh, you know, there's something about, and I agree with you, Sam, you know, coming from a winning tradition, uh, coming from a winning program and, you know, high expectations, not only uh, on the court but also in the classroom. Um, we had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to have uh, Coach Xavier Tillman, who's at Michigan State, uh Dwayne Washington who's at Ohio State we had a, and, and so a kid by the name of Dane Speck, who's at the University of Miami of Ohio and Seth Milner who's going to University of Toledo so I think having a tradition of having um division one basketball players along with a lot of other great athletes that's come out of our school I think that's part of our, our tradition and part of our culture and me as a as a coach at this level I want to just continue that and like I said have the high expectations. I demand a lot from my guys, not only on the court, but in the classroom. And I think, you know, my job is to try to prepare them the best that I can, along with my, my staff, to help them uh, accomplish their dreams.
2: Yeah, clearly, it really seemed like kind of following you guys. It, it really seemed like Kobe took it to another level last year. So was there, can you think of a moment? It might have been a play in a game. It might have been a, a, a full game performance. Maybe it was a couple of games. Some moments that stand out in your mind watching him, and it could maybe it was something you saw in practice. But some moments that stand out in your mind and made you say, "Man, okay, yeah he he's taking it to another level." Man, that's special. Man, that that's what makes him one of the best players in the in the country. Can you think of any of those moments off the top of your head?
5: I think uh, I would go back to. Um his sophomore year uh going into the postseason tournament. Um you you start to see uh phases of it, but towards the end of the season I saw to see Kobe come on strong. And I think we played Catholic Central in a district game and Kobe scored, I think, thirty five or thirty seven points. But just to see him In a game of that magnitude, I think Catholic was one of the uh, top-ranked teams. Um, They just had came back from making a run at the Breslin prior to. And just to see him perform and see his game really come together, his maturity um, and really stepping up to the moment was a defining moment for me as a coach where I said, this kid has got a chance to really, really be good. And and I think that was the turning the table. And then I think he was able to to take that right into – um, the the off season, and and carry that forward on the AAU, and then coming back into this past season, I think it was a, a place too where I think he really saw his confidence soar, and I think he started to really see that he could really be uh be really good at this game.
2: Mm, great stuff, coach. So my last one for you, just uh, you talked about the impact that Jawan and, and Sadi had on. On recruiting Kobe and getting him to commit to Michigan, I'm just curious your your thoughts on those two guys as coaches, as recruiters. I mean, you you deal with a lot of coaches. You know, you have sent, as you said, players all over the country. Just give me your your impressions of uh, of Jawan, of Sadi, of both coaches, both as coaches and as recruiters.
5: Well, I'll start with Coach Sadi. Um, um, I personally know Sadi. Sadi and I, uh, we played uh, in the CBA in Grand Rapids together uh, years ago. And so just personally um, having the opportunity to play with Sadi, I got to know him personally um, prior to him even going to Michigan. So just understanding that, you know, his character, his integrity, who he is, um, I think he's definitely one of the up and coming coaches. I think his uh, reputation speaks for itself in the state of Michigan, and, and what he's done so far in his career um, at Western, but also at Oakland, but also at the University of Michigan. So there, there was a unique connection um, there with with uh, Sadie and I. Um, but I, I think he has such a great upside to be an up and coming, uh, great coach. Um, just his amount of time and the time that he spends uh, in the recruitment, but also understanding the game, but also being able to connect with the uh, players as well. Um, and Jawan, you know, just to see a, a guy that um, was a product of the University of Michigan, but go on and have an extended uh, NBA career, but also sat on the bench at the NBA. Um, the other thing I took away from Juwan, um transitioning from the NBA game to the to the college game, he's very open to learning and he's very open to taking suggestions from, from guys that's been around that, you know, um, his assistant coaches with, with coach, uh, uh, Martelli and then coach, um, Soddy, but also coach Smith and, and the guys and coach Howard Isley. So I think he's been able to assemble a great staff, but what I take away is, you know, you don't get to, to be successful without people around you. And I think, uh, surround yourself with good people just speaks to him as, Hey, you know, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers, but I'm open to, to take, uh, the the suggestions and things that my assistants are recommending and I think they're in a good place I think they got a chance to really uh continue a, the great tradition um uh from coach Beeline and keep the program going at a high level
2: man tremendous stuff coach Taylor appreciate you you taking the time and Good luck this season, man. I'm knocking on wood for y'all, hoping that we have a season next year. You got any insight on how things are looking? What are they What are they saying about how things will, will look in the fall as far as the MHSA is concerned?
5: Now, uh, the MHSA is going to make a ruling, I believe, uh, the 24th of this month of July. But uh, I'm very optimistic. I think basketball, I think we're in a good place because we have some time left. And, and I think we could also push our season into the spring. So. My faith is uh, strong. I'm very optimistic, and uh, I think we will have a season. I think it will look different from the traditional season. I mean, there's been talk about maybe not uh, having non-conference games and just playing your conference and looking at doing something different in terms of the postseason tournament. But I'm optimistic that uh, we'll get a chance to play basketball at some point this year.
2: Tim, as I listen to Coach Taylor – Talk about where Kobe is and and how far he's come when it comes to the the work that he puts into his his craft. He said, you know, at this point, it's a matter of the physical side. You put this kid in Camp Sanderson uh, and put some some meat on his bones, which you know is possible. Look at Karis. Karis thevert is the shining example of a guy who was rail thin coming in, and and now I think he's one of the best wings. Uh, you know, in the NBA, and I think that this is a kid that when you when you add some some strength, some physicality, it's gonna add so many layers to his game because Kobe can get to the bucket, but can he get to the bucket and finish through contact in college? Uh, that's gonna take hmm. some. That's gonna take some time. You know, Kobe can put it on the deck, but uh, and, and not be knocked off his dribble. But can he get not be knocked off his dribble in the college game? Uh, so these are all these are all things that, through time with John Sanderson, are, are are going to not be questions anymore. That's one of the things I got from his AAU coach as well. I said, look, understand that the reason why more people aren't talking about Kobe Bufkin is exactly what you pointed out, Tim. He was injured, so he wasn't able to make it to your camp last year. He was injured, so he didn't play in every EYBL session. I think he played in only three EYBL sessions and picked up all those offers off of those three EYBL sessions. So that ought to tell you that coaches saw a lot in a little period of time, in a small window of time that made them think this kid is a player.
3: Well, if if Kobe Bufkin was healthy last year, then all of a sudden he probably doesn't commit now. And he probably has offers from Kansas and North Carolina and Arizona. And that changes everything. Uh, he's six six now, but he looks really young physically, which tells me he could become six seven or six eight. And the reason that's so significant, he plays with a family, right, Sam? Yes, he does. So his his AAU teammate is Jay Nakins. Mm-hmm. and and I and I kind of I, I kind of wonder, does that help or recruit? Or hurt the recruiting of Akins because th- does Michigan need another guard? Well, yes. If you see Kobe Bufkin turn out to be six seven or six eight, then that that's a game changer right there too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and they do need another guard. It'll be interesting. He could look at he could look at Michigan and see uh, Kobe Bufkin talking about Jay Akins. He could look at Michigan State and see Pierre Brooks. I mean, you know, a couple of guys that he that he played with. So there's some comfort in in both spots. Uh, But there's also some, you know, some uh, guys occupying uh, a position at at both spots. There might be some some overlap. So uh, but both uh, covered him. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. All the eggs not in that basket for Michigan, but certainly some of them are really, really good problem to have, though. This is you know, this is a a great foundation for the class. And this is one of the things that they wrote that Brian Snow wrote on 24 seven sports. He said, look. Michigan off to a really good start. They have the number three class in the country right now with Isaiah Barnes, Will Cheddar, and Kobe Bufkin. And they have room to add a lot more talent to the equation. Tim, that is a good spot to be
3: in. I, I agree. And I like the fact that that Bufkin is from Michigan. There's been a lot of good talent in the western part of the state. And and so he's um he's a foundational piece. Um, Good character, good family, good for Juwan in Michigan.
2: Yeah, and good for this podcast, as it gave us another really, really great topic to talk about. Again, no shortage of topics, my friend. I told you that it would no, work, it would work out this way.
3: Yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You know, one of the topics that that I want to dive into is just trying to speculate what in the world is going to happen with Michigan basketball, with Michigan football, with the Pistons, with pro sports, you know maybe maybe next next time we can speculate on on what it may look like down the road
2: that is exactly what we will do because in another couple of weeks maybe that will be more in focus as well so look ahead to that in the meantime folks be sure to subscribe to this podcast be sure to rate and review it tell all your friends if they are Michigan fans if they're Michigan basketball fans tell them about the Michigan Basketball Insider they can find this podcast Wherever they get their podcasts, iTunes, app, you know, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, you name it, they can find it there. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And whenever we drop a new one, you'll see it come up. You'll get that notification, and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks here on the Michigan Basketball Insider.
1: Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or.